Boom. Here we go. What's up, guys? This is the Do Big Things Podcast. Thanks for dropping in. Grab a coffee. You're going to dig this one. Throughout this conversation, uh, while talking with my friend Jason Howell, it seemed like he had packed a few different lives into his 38 years. From the Marines to the Green Berets to the Moab 240, it's safe to say that Jason's life resume is packed full of adventure. Uh, he's just a badass dude, and it was an honor to have him on the show. He's about to take on his biggest project yet, Mount Everest. He's raising money for a nonprofit supporting Green Beret Racing, and Jason will be climbing and summiting Mount Everest without the use of supplemental oxygen in an effort to bring awareness to the fallen service members of our country in hidden issues of PTSD and suicide. His goal is to raise $25,000. Uh, you can support him at givingtuesday.mightycause.com. And I highly recommend it. Support this man and his mission. You're going to love this conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing. If you need pacers or crew for your Colorado Ultra Marathon next year, well, this year, get us on the books. We love helping folks get into that finishing shoot. We love it. We've also got UESCA certified coaching programs and training plans in case you need some guidance towards tackling whatever goals you might have. Whether you're new to the sport or an elite, we've got something for you. You can find everything at big-things-crewing.com. If you'd like to support us, our mission, or be a part of the Do Big Things tribe, we are on Patreon, and it would be greatly appreciated. Patreon.com slash do big things. Uh, we'd like to welcome our newest sponsors to the show, Alter Ego Running and Bigger Than the Trail. Stick around to the end of the show and I'm going to get you guys some promo codes for items or services that are just going to enhance your outdoor adventures. All right, guys, here it is. Put your hands together for my man, Mr. Jason Powell. Yeah! This is the Do Big Things Podcast, where we want to inspire you to do big things. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, a service for ultra runners from beginner to elite. Not only can we get you trained up, but we can also crew you into the finish line. Find us at big-things-crewing.com. Now, here is your host, Adam McRoberts. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You grew up in Colorado, though, right? Just not in Divide. Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah, I grew up in southwestern Colorado, uh, okay. Nucla, super small little town down near Montrose, Telluride, down in the San Juans. Okay, cool. 
Well, thanks for doing this, man. Um, we've we and nice to meet you, by the way. We've talked several times online, but uh, nice to to finally meet you. And um, uh, Mount Everest, dude, like Mount Everest is the next adventure. So I got to hear about this. How did this all start? Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, first, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Great meeting you as well. Uh, you know, I guess Everest really started back in 2011. Um, I was doing some work, uh, civilian contracting overseas and a buddy of mine decided to take a vacation. We went to Tanzania. Uh, so we did a safari and then we climbed uh, Kilimanjaro. We climbed Kili. And that was the first time being up high elevation. Kili is not a technical climb by any means. It's a trek, but you're still getting up over 19,000 feet. And for being away from Colorado for so long, uh, getting back into the mountains, getting up to high elevation, it just kind of, it kind of sparked this fire in me, I guess. It's like, man, like I've, I've always had this passion for the mountains and this is my first time to really climb, kind of get up high. And, and it hooked me. It really, it really did. Um, and then kind of fast forward a few years, uh, military thing, deployments, what have you, uh, 2018, December, uh, I ended up taking my wife, Michelle, uh, her and I went to Nepal and we did the ever space camp trek. Oh, cool. And dude, I'll tell you, like growing up in Colorado, you're absolutely spoiled, but once you get into Nepal and then you start working your way up to Namche and you get up into the Kumbu, it's absolutely incredible. Like it, it really will change your life, change mine for sure. Um, and it's just everything there is so big. The relief was unbelievable. You know, you're at Namche Bazaar at 11.2, looking down into the bottom of the valley, which is 6,000 feet. And then you're looking up at 28,000 feet, you know, it's incredible. Um, so after that trip, it, it set it in stone for me, made the decision, had to get back to Colorado, get back into the mountains. And then at that point, I knew at some point in my life, I would have to make the attempt to get back to actually do, do the climb. And it's a weird roundabout story how it actually came to happen, <laughs> but it, it did. And I uh, just got offered, got invited on a trip and got to go for it, man. Like yeah. kind of a once in a lifetime thing, you know? Totally, totally. Well, I'm envious, man. I mean, uh, you've already been out there once and it sounds like this project has been in the works for a long time since 2011. So, um, congrats, man. It's all, it's all coming together. It sounds like, um, so when you were out there originally and made it up to base camp, was this pre ultra running for you? Was this before you had, had started doing any running or, um, how did this all come together in, in your life with, with running and whatnot? So this was pretty early on. So like I said, this was December 2018. Uh, I finally ran my first ultra uh, the fall of 2015. Uh, okay. I did a 50K. Okay. Um, I, I think it was two weeks after that, I did my first 100K. Uh, and then 2016, I went for Grindstone 100. I uh, got to mile 82 and I ended up, I don't know if I chipped a bone on the outside of my ankle or what but I ended up doing the string crossing hit my foot 
uh, my foot strike weird. And instead of supinating, rolling your ankle like you typically do, uh, it pronated. But it was such a stabbing pain that I ended up limping for about 15 miles to the, the last aid station I made it to, which is mile 82, uh, and ended up dropping there. I was in a boot for a few weeks after that and then went back in 2017 and got it got it done. So okay. I guess by EBC, I had, you know, four or five ultras under my belt, you know? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the military was pre all of this, right? I guess we're going backwards on the timeline, but um, did you join the military like right out of high school or um, how did that all fit in? Uh, pretty close. I ended up, so I graduated high school. I'm 38. So okay. I'm not a young dude by, by any means. Uh, <laughs> but I graduated high school in 2001, uh, and then I ended up going to boot camp. I started the Marine Corps first. Uh, I went to boot camp in February of 2003. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, why the military? Why the Marines? Um, and this is something you're still active with, and I'm assuming passionate about. Um, I'm curious, like, why you decided the Marines, and now I, I believe you're you're with the Army Special Forces, the Green Beret. Um, how did, what, what's that whole story? How did that, that all start out? Yeah. So growing up, you know, like I said, growing up in Nucla, super small town, uh, farming community. And kind of when you think of small town, rural America, it has all of the best qualities that you'd imagine out of that, right? Like everybody knows everybody, um, generations of families grew up, know each other, know each other, what have you. So very blue collar, hardworking, take care of your neighbor kind of community. And growing up with my dad, you know, we, we were always in the mountains, right? We're always hunting, fishing, hiking. Um, we have mountain property. So we're always, always in the mountains. And I remember, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but I remember as a junior in high school and I got a pamphlet in the mail, you know, recruiting pamphlet. And I started reading this stuff on the Marine Corps and just talked about all this stuff being outside and shooting guns and just sounded super adventurous, you know, and challenging and hard. And growing up, I didn't have a lot of military influence, but the one thing I always heard was the Marines are the hardest branch. The Marine Corps is the hardest branch, you know, boot camp, so challenge, whatever. So I always had this weird, just kind of draw and pull, uh, pull towards it. So that was kind of the the stimulus, I guess, uh, to go for go for the hardest, the most challenging, you know. Um, so went in the Marine Corps, two thousand three. I uh, went in. I was a reserve, so I was in the Marine Corps uh, until two thousand nine. Couple deployments there. Uh, got out for a couple years. Did some stuff, like I said, with the uh, civilian contracting side there. I also, in that time period, went to school. Uh, at that time, I was uh, exercise science. Uh, major did a couple of years there back and forth. And then in 2012, I enlisted in the army um, to, you know, try to pursue, you know, the, the special forces, the green berets. Got it. Got it. What's it like being in the special forces? Um, I've heard all the stories. I've read all the books, um, you know, the, the Marcus Luttrell's, the David Goggins, the, um, you know, I've heard all the names. Um, what's it like for you? What's been your personal experience? So I like that you mentioned two seals because every seal has a book. Yeah, <laughs> no, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, seals, seals are awesome. We, we have this banter back and forth, right? Just like any, 
any high level team or any, you know, competitive uh, group there, but I've worked with a lot of SEALs, uh, both downrange and what I'm doing now, you know, as a, as a mountaineer here and they're incredible guys for, for any, for any branch to, uh, for an individual to make it to that special operations level, that top level within that branch, you have to have very intelligent, very dedicated, very driven uh, personnel. And, and that's, that's the way it is across the branches. And so for us in particular, um, it's, it's great, man. Uh, I had, after my time in the Marine Corps, uh, I had this kind of like, question in the back of my mind or maybe not not so much a regret but it's just man could I have made it you know because you always you know when you're doing something you're constantly asking well how far can I go you know is, is this it for me like am I content and am I happy is is this where I want to stay and if so cool that's great but if you're questioning that you know at, at some point I found with with me anyway like you have to pull that trigger and, and go for it. And so that's, that's where I was. And actually what happened was while I was contracting, um, a lot of my buddies on my team there were prior, uh, prior SF dudes. Hmm. And so we just started talking. I'm like, you know, dang, man, I, I kind of wish I would have tried. I wish I would have went for it when I was younger. And they're like, Hey dude, they, they have this program. You, you can still reenlist. You can still give it a go. So I, I ended up, uh, after I finished my last contract, um, re-enlisted and, and kind of pulled the trigger on that. And then making it to the teams, you know, it's, it's a long, call it two-year process. Plus, if you make it um, clean through everything, you don't recycle or get dropped or what have you. Um, but once you get to the teams, because everybody has tried so hard to get there, everybody's so dedicated to their job you you have a very very tight-knit community a very tight team and it's like that with the guys on the team it's like that with families you know having team parties getting everybody involved you know because you have 12 individuals on a oda on a detachment and you're gone a, a lot of the year you know you're away from home so that support mechanism that structure that that family you know that extends with with everybody as well yeah. Explain contracting for anybody listening. Like, I think I kind of know what it is like, but I'm picturing like bodyguarding high level officials and maybe shooting bad guys. Like <laughs> what does that consist of? Yeah, it's definitely, it's not all like, uh, I don't know, like 13 hours or, or what you see, you know, in the movies, it's not all like that. Right. So very generally speaking, you could think of any, um, any job or any MOS that's within the military and there's a civilian equivalent to do that, right. Okay. Uh, to work in the contracting world. Um, a lot of guys with our background will naturally tend toward, uh, tend to pursue more of the, um, personal protection, bodyguarding type of thing. And that's, that's what I did okay. while I was overseas. Yeah. Okay. Was that fun? Was that rewarding? Like compare that to your military career. Uh, um, it, okay. So it, it was a, it was a great experience, right? Um, definitely a good job. You know, the, the main reason for me going into it, uh, I, 
I had a hard time after I got back from my last deployment with the Marine Corps and left from that. Um, just, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say like necessarily maybe survivor's guilt, or I just had this, um, kind of regret that I wasn't still doing the job. I wasn't still serving my country. I wasn't, I was no longer doing something bigger than myself kind of thing. And I was doing well with, with my personal day-to-day life, but I wasn't fulfilled. So naturally, um, you know, what's the next best thing and contracting was an option. So it gave me the opportunity to be back on a team, to serve a purpose, uh, still serve my country and, and kind of do those things. But you kind of realize, and, and I don't know now, I mean, that was, that was a long time ago. So I, I was contracting 2009, 2010. All right. So at that time, things were still pretty hectic, um, especially where I was and contractors as a whole didn't always have the best image, I guess. Um, and it kind of, you got the feeling, especially even the people we were protecting, you know, we're just guns for hire, if that makes sense. Yep. Uh, we're not soldiers anymore. Sure. You know, we're not serving, serving the military. We were viewed as, Hey, these guys are gunslingers. They get paid a lot of money and that's all their, you know, that's kind of their only purpose. So there's definitely, you know, good camaraderie, kind of a, a gr- good mission set, but we had a negative, um, a negative aspect to that as well. And even, even at times, you know, you, you talked about, you know, bad guys and stuff like that. Um, there were times, you know, when we would have, situations an IED or some sort of small arms fire attack um there's one time coming into a base um with our personnel we were protecting and we got blown up by an IED well it was so close to the space we were trying to enter that they locked the base down and they wouldn't let us in so they blocked us off outside of the base and we were sitting there for 30 minutes on a sat phone to the embassy trying to get this base to allow us in mm. so we could get in and, and take care of what we needed to take care of with wow. vehicles and what have you. Um, so it was just a different kind of a, a different um, experience all around and which really, again, led me to the realization like I'm not going to have what I had for self-fulfillment in the Marine Corps unless I go back in to the military and I pursue this, this passion that I've had for a very long time and, and see if I can make it in that community. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Have you found that sense of fulfillment, that sense of purpose now that you're back with uh, the special forces, the green berets? I have. Um, I, I love, I love what I do. You know um, my time on the team, doing deployments, being, you know, being around the guys, training constantly, you know, working towards, you know, preparing for deployment or whatever our mission set is. And then with my job now, especially um, being a mountaineering instructor uh, here in Colorado, it's, it's absolutely fulfilling only because it is so, so critical and so technical that, you know, every instructor that I work with, um, obviously we're all, we're all of the instructor cadre here, we're all green berets. Mm. And it's one of these environments, like you have to want to be here. 
you know, there's some jobs in the military, they'll just kind of, oh, pick and choose, or they'll put out a, a list, a levy, and like, oh, we need these 10 guys to come here and, and work at this schoolhouse. Where we're at with what we do, you cannot do that. Right. We have to, we have to have mountain guys, guys that do this on their own, guys that are passionate about it, and guys that want to push their skill set as far as they can, because it's not only going to keep them safe and alive in the mountains, but we're going to teach these techniques that at the end of the day will, you know, enable our students to go back and teach their teams and what have you, you know, safe and proper techniques in the mountains. Okay. Okay. Do the Green Berets have an equivalent of uh, the Navy SEALs Hell Week? Uh, so the Green Berets, we have our, our selection process, right? So it's a, it's SFAS, Special Forces Assessment Selection. Uh, when I went through, it was four weeks long. Okay. Um, so that would be the, the most comparable, like to the SEALs BUDS. You know, the, the BUDS course is six months long. And then obviously you have the notorious Hell Week. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so for us, it's it's SFAS uh, four weeks long and it's just a, a plethora of different gated, tested events, all are physical, mental, cognitive, psychological. And it's just this constant round robin of testing and assessing um, through the entire four week evolution. Mm. Was that pretty stressful? Was that a big deal in your life? Uh, it was, it was a huge deal. Yeah. Because I, you know, going back to the contracting thing, uh, you know, you you make a lot of money contracting, right? Like, um, I don't know how or why, but I was able to make over 200 K with what I was doing contracting. So now to walk away from that and to come back into the military to make much less in an attempt to hopefully make it to this you know, very high level, um, you know, within special operations, knowing that the pass rate, the successful, you know, pass rate for any soldier to make it through selection and the Q course and eventually make it to the teams is very low, right? You know, you're looking at a, you know, selection, probably a 40% attrition rate. Um, and then once you get past selection, for the special forces qualification course, my class day one started with, uh, I think it was like 430 uh, students. And after the year and a half of that qualification course, there's 27 of us that had gone through without failing anything. So wow. it's incredibly um, challenging, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very mm-hmm. long process. Uh, so prepping for selection, I took that very seriously. Um, I finished my contract in December of 2010. I ended up going to selection uh, spring of 2012. And coming in the way I did, I had to wait, obviously, a while for a selection date. But this entire time period was focused on not only physical training, but I think with myself, the, the, one of the most important uh, components is the, the psychological. Like mm-hmm. It's an entire whole-encompassing dedication to your objective. So physical training, reading every book I could get my hands on, 
you know, the mental toughness, the fortitude aspect, and just all encompassing dedicated to one, uh, one objective. And that was getting to selection and hopefully getting selected. Damn. So you sort of took a big gamble with your life, really. Um, you know, you, you were making decent money, but it wasn't fulfilling to you. Um, like, like what exactly were you looking for? Um, in terms of fulfillment or in terms of career fulfillment or, or whatever it was when you were, when you were looking at the, um, you know, the green berets and looking to get into this thing, you're looking to, um, you're going to be making a lot less money. Like what specifically were you looking for? I'm just trying to picture this. I think specific short answer is serving something bigger than myself. Okay. And that that's, that's very short answer, right? When I was younger, I, you know, I always thought that success or fulfillment or happiness had a, a monetary, you know, value to mm-hmm. it. And, you know, for some reason, I, I, I think I was pretty young, but I was like, man, if I could ever in my life make 100K a year, I'll be successful, I'll be happy, I'll be making money. Cool. And then I started contracting, right? Talked through that. And that was and I say it was such a good experience because I learned so much from it, so much value, so much about myself that monetary means nothing to me, like monetary value, nothing. If I have, you know, if I'm financially stable enough to live comfortably, to have a home, put food on the table, take care of, you know, Michelle, what have you, and I'm good. That's all I need. I don't need anything more than that. Like for me, happiness, you know, comes from, serving something bigger than myself and just giving, having that sense of fulfillment. And I, I, I've tried to think about this quite a few times, honestly. And I think the the only thing I can really go back to is I have, um, I have three younger sisters, right? So I grew up big brother, mm-hmm. you know, protective, taking care of my sisters and always wanting to take care of my family. And so I, I kind of think my childhood, my upbringing kind of molded me in into that sense, you know, and I've noticed that not just professionally with the military, but things I do on my own, you know, whether it's ultra running or what have you, I think back on significant experiences in my life or, or events that have changed and molded where I am. And none of them have to do with me. <laughs> they have to do with the experiences and sharing with other people, you know, who else was there with me, who else got to share that experience. And, and I can't, you know, tell you exactly why but that's just kind of what it is i guess yeah yeah so what's a, a typical day look like for you um you said you're you're a mountaineering instructor um are, are you like actively working every day or what does that typically look like yeah so it's it's pretty busy we run uh we run two courses during the summer and then one course during the winter um so our, our summer courses we will take students that some of them have rock climbed before, some of them never have, but we will bring them in. We'll do one week of an assessment and then we go straight to the rock. So we're teaching, you know, um, traditional pro placement, anchor building, rock climbing, and we'll work all the way through into the Alpine. Uh, and then we'll get up into high Alpine, 14,000 feet, multi-day objectives and each of these summer courses are seven weeks long 
So before each seven week course, we will have a seven week train up for the instructor cadre to go through the entire course, refresh, make sure we're on top of our game. And then we do the course. We have a break, do that again. And then we do the same in the winter, naturally in, in the snow in a winter environment. And then in our off time between courses, we're constantly training. You know, we, ha we, ha we have to be in the environment as instructor cadre. So we have to be in the rock. We have to be in the alpine, especially now, you know, we're kind of <laughs> finally coming into a little snow, uh, but during the winter avalanche conditions in Colorado, like this snowpack, you have to be in the terrain, constantly studying it, constantly analyzing it uh, because it's, it's dangerous. We have the most dangerous snowpack in the country, right? Um, so it's, it's busy and trying to pair that with, running and training for my races and events uh is great because i'm constantly moving in the mountains right i'm constantly getting miles on my feet i'm constantly getting burnt in one way or, or the other sure. uh, but it can be challenging because a lot of my runs you know to still get in my base mileage that i need you know i've done runs at three o'clock in the morning you know every evening for you know for my second workout come out of the day come back do my workout and then do my second set of low intensity cardio. So it's definitely intensive and busy, uh, but it really helps keep me, keep me engaged and in, in good overall fitness for what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. So are you skiing and snowshoeing and climbing and you're doing everything in the mountains? We don't, we don't do so much snowshoeing anymore. Thankfully, okay. <laughs> uh, we do a lot of skiing. So everything that we're set up, we're on AT bindings, you know, touring, touring uh, setups. Yep. So, yeah, we, so the same kind of thing um, that I mentioned, like with summer, we'll do the same thing with, with winter. We'll get students, maybe they've skied before, maybe they haven't. Um, and we'll spend the first two weeks, two and a half weeks teaching them how to ski. Okay. Uh, and then we have a pretty uh, rigorous ski exam that they have to pass because as soon as they pass this ski test we move straight into the backcountry so we give our students um you know a course that's very similar uh to that of like an airy recreational one course we do uh single and um uh, multi-burial recovery drills and we go straight in to the backcountry doing tours and then we'll go into the alpine you know we'll summit 13 and 14,000 uh, foot peaks uh, in the winter and then we'll do overnight bivouacking and the, the whole thing. So in that course, it's really a, a fire hose approach to where we have a lot of material that we have to cover in a short period of time. Uh, and to be honest with you, the, the only reason we can achieve this in any of these courses is because of the, the skill set and the aptitude and the quality of soldier, you know, that we get you know, or personnel that we get coming through our course, because our course is open to all special operations. So we get, you know, every branch can come through. But the only reason we're able to condense it into such a short period is because every student we have come through is incredibly intelligent. They're flexible. They can adapt very quickly and they can learn very quickly. They're already high level by the time they get to you guys. Yeah. 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 <sighs> Well, thank you for your service, man. And um, I, I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. And it sounds like something that you're passionate about. 
and something that you truly enjoy too. You found a job that, that really works for you that you fit into. So hats off, man. Um, and, um, so you said that your training with your buddies that you work with is a, is a pretty tight knit community. Like what sort of training are you guys doing? Like, I'm always interested in the physical aspect of the military. Like, what are these guys doing that we're not doing? You know, is it like CrossFit specific or you guys practicing martial arts or is it strictly just like weights, cardio? Um, like I always want to ask like, who's the baddest dude out there that, you know, but I don't know how to ask that question in like a cool way. <laughs> so like, yeah. like, who are you training with? And like, what are you seeing out there? Like what's going on? Yeah. You know, it's kind of cool. Uh, so for example, in the Marine Corps, uh, as far as our physical fitness training, everybody had to do the same thing. Everybody is regimented, no matter what that was, whether it was a three mile run, or lifting weights, whatever, everybody had to do the same thing. It was very structured, right? Uh, Marine Corps, that's structured, that's disciplined to a T. Right. On the teams, uh, we definitely have, you know, there's days where you may have team workouts, but I think one of the things that make the ODA so, um, so successful is that you have the ability to be flexible. So if one guy is just a fast twitch, powerhouse moving weight in the gym then cool he can lift weights that's his niche that's what he's good at that's what he's passionate about if you have another guy who is an endurance guy he loves to run hey go do that you know and while we may have workouts where we bring everybody together to have that camaraderie like maybe we'll go do an obstacle course or, or something like that you have the flexibility to do your own thing each guy can be his own guy Right. The biggest one of the biggest things, um, especially within SF, is we don't you know, there's no room for yes men. Right. Like we want guys who are confident in themselves, type A driven, motivated and that can follow, you know, motivate themselves, follow their own passion. We, we allow that flexibility. And that's why we're so effective and mm. part of the reason why we're so effective in what we do. Um, and I don't know, like. That's kind of, that's actually, that's a good question. It's pretty cool. Um, as far as just like the baddest dude, you know, and, yeah, and, and I'll tell you, man, like I have met and worked with in, some incredible athletes, top level athletes. I actually, um, went through part of the, the Q course with a, a former NFL running back, mm. right. Who tried coming through. So literally we have athletes at the very professional level, division one athletes all day long. Um, that, that somehow they find their way into this community. And it's so, so cool to just sit back when you see one of those individuals and you're just like, damn, like, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, like that, that it's a stud. Yeah. Mm, wow. Wow. Cool, man. Well, um, and so I'm just picturing like, you're the endurance guy on the team, right? Is that kind of your specialty or are you also like into other forms of athletics? Uh, you know, I, I mean, don't know. You're an I ultra was, runner in your spare time. So I'm assuming you're just like the endurance guy on the team. Uh, you know, yeah. Like, I guess, well, while I was on the team, um, yeah, I definitely always ran right. And trying to do races or whatever, but there were, there were guys on my team that were faster than me for sure. Like we had, uh, one of the dudes on my team was a semi-pro soccer player. Mm -hmm. I, there's no way I'm catching that dude in a five mile run. Right. right. Like, no, 
there's no way. I don't know. He, I don't think he'd ever run a hundred with me, but right. he he's not going to catch you on a 240 mile run. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was the way I've always, and, and I actually like, I haven't always been a runner by any stretch of the imagination. I used to hate running. I was, especially when I was younger, I was always a, a lifter. You know, I was always trying to push natural bodybuilding and like my dream pinnacle achievement for gosh, about 10 years was to one day do a natural uh, bodybuilding competition. Okay. Um, and then I did that in 2009. So I had a, a lifting background before I, I came into this. And so I think where I'm at now and where I was on the team, like the, my view of the baddest dude was the all around athlete, a dude who may not be yeah. the fastest or the most like endurance and climb. He may not be lifting the most weight in the gym, but who's that one guy that can incorporate everything mm -hmm. and, and outperform if that makes sense. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was always kind of a goal for you is to sort of be that well-rounded guy that's versatile with lifting weights with pull-ups, push-ups, um, and also out on the trails. Yeah. 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 I think if I were to talk about like my, my very inner personal goals when I was on the team was to be the best all around. Like I, you know, you want to be that guy that's going to outlift your buddies, but you also want to be that guy when we get on the trails or we have to throw 60 pounds on our back and go for, you know, 10, 15, 20 miles that you're up front constantly, you know, leading by example and out in front of your guys like you. And, and that's what's another thing that's just awesome about that in, environment. Um, just because everybody is so competitive. And that's one thing with a detachment, like you can be fired, like nowhere else really in the military can you be fired from your job and go away. But on detachments, you can. Mm -hmm. And so every day is kind of a new interview it's proving yourself to your guys it's proving that you want to be there that you deserve to be there so everyone there is constantly striving to perform at their best and it just creates this like positive and motivating atmosphere that you want to push yourself to keep up with your buddies and do the best you can because you don't want to let anybody down yeah for sure you seem to me like a guy that has like high self expectations and high morals. Do you have like a code that you live by or like, I don't know, some sort of a warrior code or something, or, or like a mantra that you follow or some tenants in your life that, that you stand up with or. Um, I guess one thing for me, first and foremost is do for others before myself. Uh, and then when I went, when I was going through boot camp, uh, Marine Corps, you know, I, I learned some principles, key principles that I've absolutely, you know, always tried to aspire to, to live up to. And that's always lead by example, lead from the front and take care of your men before you take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of been my I guess, overall philosophy and, you know, kind of what I, like I said, what I've tried to try to live up to. And to be honest with you, this is getting <laughs> pretty deep. I've never actually told anybody <laughs> that before, but uh, yeah, you know, it, it is. And I'm sure you've talked to a bunch of other guys, you know, they have, they have the same thing. 
you know, just because a lot of the guys that, that I have the fortune to work with are very like-minded and taking care of each other. For sure. Yeah. How does this um, sort of lifestyle and this code of honor that you live by, like bleed over into the rest of your life? Um, you said that you're married to Michelle, you said, I think, and how long have you guys been married? Has she been around since the contracting days? And um, wh what's the rest of your life like outside of the military and, and running? Yeah, so Michelle and I, uh, we got married in 2014. And we actually met uh, right after I finished contracting. Uh, okay. While I was uh, come back home. Uh, and believe it or not, we actually, we actually met, uh, in Portland, Oregon, while we were waiting in line for a packet pickup to a Spartan race. No way. Yeah. <laughs> um, dude, I'll tell you like Michelle, she's a phenomenal human being. I, that girl like deserves all the credit. She's, she's my rock. She's my stability and the things that I have put her through and the many ways that she supported me and all my silly endeavors, both with my job and then, you know, my personal life, like she's, she's incredible. We, uh, yeah, we, so we met in line <laughs> for a pack of pickup at a Spartan race. Our first date was after the race the next day. Uh, second date, uh, we met in Park City, Utah for a weekend. And our third date, she agreed to fly to Pamplona, Spain and meet we meet myself and my buddies uh while we were at the beginning of a Euro trip that we had planned. And for this girl, you know, we talked like this is the big things podcast, right? Yeah. Like you want to talk about doing big things. Michelle's background, she's grew up in the Bay Area, went to U of O. She's a fanatic duck fan. And she's a school teacher. She's an elementary school teacher. Uh, and then to meet me, some, you know, small town redneck country boy who at the time was going pretty crazy and pretty hard. And to just be like, yeah, cool. I'm down. Like, let's go do this. It, right. Yeah. And she's been like that, you know, since, since I've known her, she's, she's incredible that, you know, you, you brought up Moab. There's no way I could have done the things that I've been able to do with without her no question mm. as a crew or a pacer or um like what did she do for you so i've i've been to moab twice um I so the that. first year yep so the first year i uh i dnf'd i stress fractured my left foot at mile one of two mm. uh and then i ended up dropping at wind whistle at 153 Michelle, she wasn't able to come down. She had to work, um, but she ended up doing a, on a whim, eight-hour drive from here in Divide to Moab just to meet me at Shade Mountain, so halfway of mile 120, just to meet me and give me her support and give me a hug. And then from there, I went on my way, and then she had to turn around and drive right back home. Wow. And then this year... Uh, she actually, she took time off. She came out. Um, and I had, I had Michelle, I had my dad, his wife, my sister, I had my family there and they were my crew, um, for this year's Moab. Uh, last year I, I did a solo 
and then family came out to to see me but this year they came out they were my crew and then michelle she ended up pacing me for the last section from porcupine rib rim to the finish so 18 miles in the dark i think we started that section at just after midnight and then finished at about 5 30 in the morning mm-hmm. yeah um <clears throat> so with moab you you dnf'd it but then i'm guessing that that left something unresolved in your head and you had to go back and finish it i mean you know you could have done bigfoot or you could have done tahoe or, or one of the other races um like was that like rewarding to finally go back and put your stamp of finality onto that race or or what was that like? Yeah, um, it absolutely was. So when I DNF Moab last year, you know, during the event, I had my phone um, airplane mode, right? Say battery. And so I could have my guy and my maps going, what have you. And so I'm doing the race and, you know, during the race competition, you're just focused on you and what you're doing. And, and I really didn't think much of it. So I finished the, or I dropped from the race, get back into town and I get service again. And my phone blows up from friends, people who follow me on Instagram, all of my teammates who teammates and prior service buddies who are spread out all over the globe, they were following me. Um, on the the tracker that destination does right for the event and they had started all these groups and pages and what have you and and i saw that they were tracking me and supporting me the entire way and i'll tell you man like that put me into a spiral of depression uh that that i've only had a few times It, Mm -hmm. it hit me hard you know it's one thing to to DNF, right? You, you fail yourself, you let yourself down and, and what have you ever, you know, a lot of people experience that, but to have the feeling that I let everybody down, you know, I let myself down, my family down, Michelle, all of my mates, it, it was heavy. It hit me hard. And what ended up happening is I got back to my hotel that night and I was in a, I was in a really dark place for sure. And I'm just like, I, I knew it was going to haunt me. I knew it was going to hit me hard. Um, so I had to think of a way to, to get out of this, to get out of my head. And the biggest draw that I have to running these events is a community. The ultra community that we have is incredible. Everybody is so positive. There's so much stoke and just this like vibe, you know, like just great people that encompass the ultra community. So I sent an email to uh, not the race director, um, uh, a manager, I guess, the head uh, aid station manager. And I was like, hey, um, I'm this guy. I just dropped, uh, but I'm staying the night in Moab. Do you do you need help at any of the aid stations tomorrow? You know, and sure enough, she she responded, let me know like, yep. Um, we could definitely use you up at Geyser Pass, you know, to help volunteer and support. And so I did this because I knew, like, putting myself back around other runners and other individuals within this community would help pull myself out of this deep and dark place that I was in, you know, and help me start kind of moving forward and looking ahead. So sure enough, I go to Geyser the next day and work in the aid station. And I, 
I hope she doesn't get mad at me, but I'm going to call her out. Julie, um, an incredible, incredible person. She ends up walking up and we start talking. And naturally, this is last year during COVID, right? So everyone has their masks on. She didn't recognize me. She's like, hey, what's going on? What happened? So I tell her about my foot, you know, and my ankle, these problems I have, why I drop. And then she sees me lift up my mask and, and I used to uh, dip chewing tobacco, right? And she sees me spit. She's like, oh, you're the dip guy. Dude, what happened? You came in looking so strong. I hope you're going to make it. So we end up kind of forming forming this friendship. And God, Julie, she's incredible, man. Um, so we become friends. We keep chatting. Well, Julie, she texts me. I want to say it was November. Uh, and she's like, hey, my husband and I, we do this thing every year. And we gift a race to a runner that we think is deserving. Her and her husband got me into Moab this year. No way. They're the reasons. Yeah. They're the wow. reasons why I did it, man. And dude, it, it like not kidding, like it brought a tear to my eye. I mean, because Moab's a fourteen hundred dollar race, right? right? Like it's right. a big race and, and justifiably so. Like destination crushes that event. It is incredible. But a two hundred and forty mile loop, the logistical support needed for that, right, is is uh is huge. Cost some dough. So she, she gifted me that race. So for, you know, the 10 months coming up into this Moab, I was absolutely dead focused. I, I don't particularly enjoy running on a treadmill, but bought a treadmill. And it's just like, I have to be absolutely all in every opportunity I get to train to log miles, whatever. This year's a no fail event. I can't, you know. I have so many people that are supporting me and behind me. There's no way I can risk letting them down again. Uh, so that that was kind of my my mindset coming into this Moab. Yeah. Um, how did your training differ from one year to the next with Moab? I mean, the first time you didn't finish because of an injury, and that's legit. You know, nobody faults you for that. If you're injured, you should drop out if it's going to cause long-term damage, but did your training change at all? Like, did you ramp things up more? Were you running bigger miles? What did that look like? Yeah, I definitely, definitely more mileage, more consistent base mileage. Um, and definitely a lot more just, I guess, all encompassing, man, like more mileage, more vert, uh, even days that I knew we would have a big day in the mountain with work or what have you. If I had time, I could get miles in. I was doing it. Um, a lot of my guys probably get frustrated with me because I, when we're moving in the mountains, I'm like, oh, cool. Well, here's a, here's an opportunity for fitness. You know, yeah. let's go. Uh, and one thing that, and I did it last year as well. You know, as far as just being very very detailed with with heart rate, right? With my mm -hmm. my intensity during the event. Um, and this year with Moab, I was able to come in, I came in about 10 pounds lighter. Um, and I was very, very on my goal heart rate, you know, staying very low zone two for me, you know, my ceiling was 140 beats a minute and, and that was it. No question. You know, I uphill, downhill, flat didn't matter. This is during the um, race, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. This is dur during the event. Um, and, and I just stayed with it. And, you know, this year I actually, 
I moved quite a bit quicker than I did last year. I, I hit uh, 50 miles this year at, uh, I think it was just under 10 hours. And then I ended up taking off my uh, first hundred at uh, about 11 hours, I guess. Um, but it was a big, big mental battle as well, because I had to be sure that I took absolutely every learning experience, every mistake that I made from last year's event and, you know, put that to use and corrected it this year. Um, so even, you know, this year I finished, you know, great. There were definitely some, you know, I still definitely made mistakes and, and I definitely have identified it, identified some, some points where I could have saved time and, you know, what have you been more efficient throughout that process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was that race like? I mean, how deep did you have to dig by the time Michelle was pacing you? Were you, what, was it pretty ugly or, um, did you make it through the race without, uh, without, uh, <laughs> any adversity? No, you know, I, I think, I think everybody, you know, and no matter the rate, there's going to be adversity. There's going to sure. be the unexpected, right? That's honestly, that's kind of a big draw of it. Cool. Like what, what new problem am, am I going to have to solve this time? You know, how is it going to make me better for the next one? So this year, um, yeah, there, there definitely were um, some low points. Uh, I guess one of them came uh, Bridger Jack aid station is at mile yeah, about one Oh three, one Oh four. Uh, and it was pretty cold. I came in there and one of the things that I, I thought maybe played a part in me messing up my foot last year was just too much time on my feet. Like I did not sleep. I just kind of kept moving, you know, and I wasn't able to get a good base mileage before last year's event. So I was like, okay, cool. This year I will force myself to get off my feet. I'll force myself to try to take a nap, maybe try to recover, stay mentally sharp, but just kind of let my legs recover. So I tried to do this at um, Bridge of Jack Aid Station, and it was whipping cold. Wind was coming through, um, probably low teen temps. So I was like, okay, I'm going to force myself to try to sleep for 30 minutes. So I laid on a cot and couldn't sleep, and I just got really, really cold. So I get up, and I start moving. And for whatever reason, again, my left ankle um, on the outside, it was just this stabbing pain I couldn't run you know I would walk and I'd have to put my weight on my poles and I'm like you know what the heck and so I was super frustrated but I knew in the back of my mind it's like okay I came into Bridger Jack fine I had no issues right now yep something's going on but I know it's not a significant injury so from Bridger Jack to the halfway to the top of Shays about uh, 20 miles with about 4,000 feet of gain in that section that was a grind um, that took me way too long. Couldn't run, couldn't hike, what have you. And it was, I felt really bad for my family because this is where they saw me last year. And I was limping on the same ankle, the same foot as I was last year. They see me in this dark place and they're just like, Oh no, here we go again. Right. Um, so I get up and by this time, when I topped out on Shea, I, I was, I was tired. It's like, okay, I know I need to sleep now. So I crushed some food, took care of myself, hydrated, a uh, 30 minute nap. This time got in my sleeping bag. My family crew is incredible. Like 
there i don't know how but they were just like a fine-tuned machine everyone was doing something just totally taking care of me passed out like a rock for 30 minutes woke up changed clothes did all my vaseline stuff and my my test my indicator for me just to kind of make sure everything's working right is i'll go into a full squat right and i'll do a full squat because it engages and it stretches you know every muscle group throughout my legs and i was amazed that my hamstrings had released you know my ankle didn't bother me and as soon as i could do that full squat it was a light switch and from there like i just i i hit that next section pretty good and was able to run nine minute uh splits no problem and it was just cool again to go through you know probably close to eight hours of just being in a really dark place like darn it i'm here again what the heck to where it's like no like you can come out of it like if you just Mm -hmm. keep grinding you stay with it like nothing is over until you say it's over um so got through that, went through the night. Um, I would say, and this is so silly, but the lowest point I had was after Pole Canyon. Pole Canyon is, I want to say it's around 187, 189. And I started chafing so bad. And, you know, I kind of think of chafing like, ah, oh, it's superficial, what have you. But when it's an open kind of seeping bloody wound all the way around like dude it's debilitating (laughs) big time and i i was in a dark place i was doing everything i could think of more vaseline changing layers whatever nothing was fixing it so i leave pole canyon and i'm i'm just slogging along i'm grinding i'm i'm in a bar fight dude like yeah i'm in a dark place (laughs) and here we go with this ultra community again, man. Um, another runner, Travis and his pacer, they came up, they come up behind me and, you know, Hey man, great job. You're crushing it. And I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, if I'm in a dark place and I know I'm not doing well, and somebody says, dude, you look so strong. You're crushing it. (laughs) I just want to be like, shut the F up. No, I don't. (laughs) I suck right now. And that's where I was, but they were so cool. And so they, they passed and they went on um, ahead of me and I just got internally really pissed at myself. And I just told myself I wasn't going to lose sight of them. So I just started dragging behind them. I wasn't going to lose like, no matter how much it hurt, no matter what was going on, stayed with them. A couple miles down the trail, I ended up catching up with them. And I'm like, Hey man, like, I know this is a race, like, you know, whatever. And at this point, I had no idea what place I was in. I figured, dude, I'm probably like mid 20s, 30. Like, I don't even care. I'm just trying to make it to the next aid station. I was like, hey, is it cool if I just tag along with you guys? Like, whatever. Like, yeah, dude, absolutely. So I did. And we, we stayed together. Um, and, And it worked out really well, because a lot of people have talked about this section between pole, uh, pole Canyon, and then the old like geyser pass road and it was a like a 24 mile section and there was only one water point and then you hit the paved road and it was i don't know man it was like a five or six mile paved road climb and it just it just crushed people and it yeah it it was miserable but 
So we're doing this together and uh, his pacer, he's like, he's like, Hey man, do you, do you know what place you're in? I'm like, no, like, I don't even want to know. He's like, dude, you're in eighth place. I'm like, I was like, no, there's no way. Like, you know, maybe someone told you that yesterday or something. He's like, no, I'm, I'm on the tracker right now. Like we're in eighth and ninth place. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we're going along, Travis and I are talking and, you know, we've logged 24 miles to this point together. And we kind of had this mutual thing, like, dude, let's just keep this going to the finish. Because we noticed, like, once we started moving, Travis and I, like, our paces were very similar anyway. You know, when we would have a downhill section, we would open up our legs or we would climb. It's like, we're both moving at the same pace. Like, let's just finish this together and keep each other going. I'm like, heck yeah, absolutely. And as we're going, I told him, I was like, I was like, hey, man, like, I just got to tell you, uh, priority one for me is finishing this race with Michelle, you know, like, and I didn't mention the race starts on Michelle's birthday. So mm. that's another thing. Okay. Another, like her amazing commitment to me is two years in a row. Oh, Jason's going to go for the two forty on Michelle's birthday. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I tell Travis like, Hey man, priority one, I have to finish with my wife. He's like, dude, I made the same promise to my wife. Like no matter what we're finishing together and I'll tell you, like to be able to keep moving with him and get to porcupine and see both of our wives waiting for us. And then all four of us finish that event together. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that made the rate, that's my finish. That's my story. That's, that's, you know, my accomplishment is all of us staying true to what we initially set out to do. And to finish with our significant others is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, man. Um, <clears throat> so tell us about this uh, upcoming project, uh, Mount Everest, um, early 2022. Um, what's uh, w- what are things looking like from now? Like like where you are right now? Are you just planning like the logistics? Are you training in any sort of capacity, or um, how's that going? Yeah, so definitely planning is heavy, right? Uh, I am doing it with the guide company. Um, so, so the way this came about, uh, after last year's Moab, uh, I logged quite a few miles uh, with my buddy, Zach. Um, and we ended up talking, you know, messaging each other after. He's like, hey, man, I've got this idea, blah, blah, blah. Invited me, boom. So we, we've been planning this since last November. So did some research, a lot of research, uh, found this guide company. We've got that set up. And so right now, uh, everything is set in place. Uh, the biggest portion that I'm working now, which is so far out of my comfort zone, but it is, you know, trying to bring awareness, um, to Green Beret Racing, right. The, the nonprofit that's, that's supporting me and helping me, um, to be able to go and attempt this climb, you know, all in an effort to, to bring awareness to, you know, to the organization. And, you know, the, the end goal is bring awareness to, you know, TBI, PTSD, the, you know, unfortunately the suicide rates that we have within uh, special forces now. So current time is really trying to learn my way through 
that process. Um, so I don't let the organization down. And then as far as training goes, you know, I, I'm doing everything I can. Uh, so I've got a race booked um, next month. Uh, I'm running Arches 50 mile uh, yeah. with Mad Moose events again in Moab. Moab and then, yep. And then I'm finishing out their triple crown um, with behind the rocks ultra in yeah. March. Nice. Uh, so I've got a couple races lined up and then everything I'm doing here is, you know, two workouts a day. Uh, my morning workout is strictly, you know, cardio based. So that could be, you know, seven, eight miles in the morning to a four to five hour workout. I'm fortunate enough. I live right here behind Pike's Peak. Mm -hmm. So like for me, the Crags trailhead, 10 minutes away, nice. you know, doing workouts up to the summit back, what have you. Um, and then in the afternoons I'll do, uh, I have a, just a body weight circuit that I do. And then I'll do another 30 minutes to an hour of lower intensity cardio there. Typically it's just, you know, walking on an incline, what have you, okay. uh, kind of recover for the next day. Damn. You're going to be bulletproof, man. <laughs> You're training like a freaking soldier, man. I love it. <clears throat> Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's, it's just one of those things like the way I think you kind of have to look at it the way I look at it, like you got one shot at this thing, you totally. know, and you know, whether it goes or it doesn't, I have to, I've got to, I, I can't be too timid or too afraid to not be vulnerable and not lay it all out there. Like mm -hmm. I, my worst fear is, you know, getting to base camp or starting this, this climb, and then questioning, did I do enough or, oh man, what about that day that I took off? Or, you know, like you, you can't do that. Not, not something, you know, this magnitude, especially when you have, you know, so many people that are supporting you and behind you and that you're trying to help out. So, yeah. 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 Don't a lot of like rich people and celebrities just basically pay for uh, a guided trip up Everest and people who aren't necessarily super fit, get it done. Right. Or am I wrong there? Well, and I, I, I can't tell you that I know, right. This is my first attempt doing it, but there definitely is a, a view or, or a stigma with that climb. Um, that is very similar to that, to where you can have somebody who maybe does not have mountaineering experience, technical rope experience, technical climbing experience, but has the means um, to fund this trip and, you know, kind of hang on to a rope or get supported, you know, by a local Sherpa on the way up to get a, a selfie or, you know, that kind of thing, uh, definitely has that, that stigma, um, which, you know, is, is definitely unfortunate for sure. Um, but I mean, that's the other thing with that region too, like, that that income that capital for for Nepal is incredible for sure. right yeah um and i'm really really glad to see especially now like in the last few years like you know uh 14 peaks right like that just came out on netflix nims uh nims book is incredible um uh, but since he started that project you know 2019 there's been a lot more light shed on that community and all of the work that the that the sherpa do on that mountain getting people successfully uh and sa safely up and down that mountain um so 
yeah, I'm sure there's people that, that go up and attempt to climb that maybe don't have the background to do it. And they could absolutely be a liability. Um, but on the other hand, you know, maybe they're paying over $100,000 that's going towards that community in that country, you know, so I guess there's kind of multiple ways you could look at it. Yeah, yeah. But you're training for this thing like it's the biggest ultra marathon ever. Like you're tra- you're not going to leave any room for for human error here, at least not on your part. No, man, not 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 as much as I can help it both from the the physical and the conditioning aspect. And then you know, I and this is something I've thought about a lot like, you know, I am a military dude and and I am a mountaineer. Um and that that mountain and that route you know there are a lot of there are a lot of risks with it a lot of objective hazards from the kumbu icefall and avalanche and seracs um to weather coming in all of these unforeseens um and so the physical aspect is absolutely a huge component but i also have to be very technically sound you know it's one thing to to look at a picture, watch a documentary and see clear skies, clear weather. And like, oh yeah, I I could throw crampons on and walk up that snow slope and attach to the rope. But things are always different, you know, on the ground. And, and so I just, that's why I say, like I said earlier, you know, I have to approach this from a very holistic perspective, you know, physical, psychological, emotional, and to make sure I'm completely well-rounded and devoted and prepared, prepared for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about Green Beret Racing. Um, you know, you said that they're um, supporting people with PTSD. Um, is that anything that you've ever had personal experience with? Yeah. 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 And it, it's, yeah, man. And, you know, obviously this is a very, uh, kind of uncomfortable, vulnerable, you know, topic. Um, but yeah, I think, I think people would be amazed, um, if, if a lot of guys, a lot of, you know, individuals really opened up, honestly, um, people are dealing with a lot of stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. PTSD, TBI is very, very common. Um, not just from like singular significant events, but cussive events over time right. um, building up and then the um, the symptoms the effects of TBI are very similarly you know related to that of PTSD and what have you and you know it, and I'll be completely honest you know I've been doing this for a little while and it wasn't until a couple months ago um, that I finally started talking to somebody like I have am I career i have never voluntarily went to you know anything medical related right like we have a job to do and for for us kind of our worst fear is being taken away from the team not being able to go with your guys not being able to you know go on mission or go down range and so for so many of us we're so committed um, to our mates and to the mission like we just keep going on right Um, and recently I ended up kind of hitting a point and finally started talking to some folks and kind of working through things. And then I ended up very fortunately, um, 
uh, Green Beret Racing reached out to me after uh, after Moab. Mm. And it's kind of one of those things like, yeah, first when it happened, when they first reached out, I was like, man, yeah, that's that's awesome. Love the organization. Love, you know, what trying to do, whatever. But it wasn't really until I started kind of working on myself and looking at the path I was kind of going down that it hit me like, yeah, like this, this is, this is pretty heavy. And it, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I can't talk enough about the timing, but it just worked perfect um, for me and what it is what they're, you know, Green Beret racing, their mission set is, you know, they're, they started with, you know, like dirt bikes and OHVs and, um, you know, four wheelers, racers, this kind of thing. Um, and they have this whole mechanized component, motorized component um, for racing, for dudes um, to get out and go to go race, pursue a passion. And Green Beret Racing will fund it for these individuals. So you could have a guy like, man, I've always wanted to learn how to ride a dirt bike. Well, they will provide the dirt bikes. They'll provide the uniforms, the jerseys, entry fees to races, parts, and they provide this for our guys so they don't have to worry about the funding the monetary you know aspect of it and so with me you know we're really trying to move towards this human performance side mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. um, and for me it just happens to be you know like I do these ultra events and and what have you that's kind of my my niche and we're trying to open this up and you know because for me like I I didn't realize but for you know, a very long time, like running has been, that's been my outlet. You know, that's when I get into the mountains, especially when I get into the Alpine, it's just like, my mind is clear. I'm relaxed. I'm, I'm loving where I'm at. I have Alpine glow. I see animals. And it's like all these other stressors and all this other noise just kind of goes away. And that's been my, my therapy. And now you couple that with this ultra community that we have, that's just constant positive, you know, influence. And it's really been healing for me, honestly, in in every sense of that word. Um, But what the other thing that's really cool about GBR is it's, it is, you know, Green Beret racing, but they're really focused on no matter what your, your passion is, like, what is something that you've always wanted to try to do? What is something you are interested in pursuing away from the military and we're going to help you get there we're going to support you whatever you need to get to this place to find this you know positive influence this motivation this drive again to keep you know to keep our mates motivated and moving forward yeah yeah that's really cool um and it's cool that they would take you on and with this project that you're doing you know it's not exactly a race but you're still trying to complete this big thing and raise money for these guys as well. Um, is there a certain amount of money you're trying to raise for this particular mission? Yeah, right now, the goal I'm trying to get is, you know, 25,000. And, you know, naturally these, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, a lot of people are these expeditions to Everest, you know, they're, they're not cheap for one. Um, I also need to purchase, you know, like, you start talking about um, extreme high altitude. So 8,000 meter suit, boots, what have you, you know, things to survive in the environment. Um, I'm glad you asked that because I've actually got quite a few questions 
from the um, Mighty Cause page about that. So yeah. right now, you know, a lot of the focus is, you know, trying to find support to ensure that this expedition happens and I can get there and I can attempt Everest. And then once I'm there, you know, everything that we can raise and all the, the support that we can get from this is going, you know, straight to GBR. So hopefully, you know, other guys, you know, in kind of my same um, situation, like, oh man, I know I've got stuff going on, but I don't want to talk to anybody, but they see something like this, like, man, I really want to be a part of that. And now we can help them like, okay, cool. Now what, what are you interested in? And we have that funding, we have that means to allow them to pursue whatever their passion may be. Is this going to be like a long-term thing with you and GBR or, or is this just like a one-time thing or how are you looking at this? No, um, long-term for sure. Like I said, I, when I first, you know, they first invited me on, I was like, yeah, you know, that's awesome. That's cool. And then the longer, you know, that I've been with them and the more I've been going through my own stuff, it's like, I kind of look at it, man, like this could be my next step, you know, because eventually, you know, my days in the military will be done, you know, and so, you know, we're constantly thinking, what are we going to do when we get out, what have you, and, you know, it's just an incredible way to, again, keep taking care of, you know, everyone to our left and our right, you know, guys on the team and still serving a purpose, uh, and what uh, GBR has done and this idea that they've come up with, it's, it's pretty incredible, man, because we can do anything with it, right? We could have somebody who like, hey, I want to ride dirt bikes or I want to run ultras or, you know, maybe I want to be a mountain guy, whatever it is. And we just to have to offer that support mechanism, you know, and it's nowhere else out there to the extent that it is with GBR because we're all active duty guys. So we're all still on active duty and still you know, providing this support. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool, man. Okay. So you're trying to raise $25,000 by, uh, by when is it like early next season or when, when are you planning? Is there like a weather season that you're planning on doing this? Uh, my expedition starts, I have to be in Kathmandu April 7th, April 7th. Okay. Yep. So we got a few months. And how long are you going to be there for? Do you have any idea at this point? Yep. So the expedition scheduled from 7 April to 5 June. Um, looking, you know, the past few years, kind of historically, it looks like the, a lot of the wet, good weather windows are, you know, mid to end of May, kind of somewhere in there. Um, and especially, you know, for me, um, attempting to do this without the use of supplemental oxygen, um, I'll definitely need a good amount of time to acclimatize as much as I can, getting up high, coming back down, sleeping low, recovering. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll be a six to eight week expedition for sure. Yeah. Why did you choose to do it without oxygen? I know that that's yeah. like the kind of the badass way that, you know, yeah, I did Everest without oxygen. It's like one extra level of badass, but I've heard other people that have spent some time out there and they're like, yeah, I mean, everybody uses oxygen. It's almost stupid not mm -hmm. to. So I'm curious what your thoughts are, why you decided that. Yeah. And it definitely, it's it definitely doesn't have anything to do with that. Like, you know, the, the badass kind of aspect of it. I, I guess for me, it was a decision I made 
when Michelle and I went to uh, base camp, you know, the same point I told myself, like one day I will be back here and I will be the client. But if I ever have the opportunity to step foot on this mountain, I, I want to do it naturally. I, I have to attempt it, you know, with me, with just who I am naturally. Like, do I have the ability to withstand and survive that mountain? It really bugs me when people say like conquer, like, oh, I'm going to conquer that mountain or I conquered that mountain. No, you didn't. That <laughs> mountain allowed you to survive. Like, right. That's it. Right. So I, you know, and especially with, uh, you know, very classic mountaineers and um, the idealistic or the purest way of climbing, like there's something to be said about that for sure. But for me personally, um, it's just testing myself, you know, I, I, I want to see if I, you know, if I can withstand it um, just kind of as I am, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there is something about doing it naturally that's a, just a little bit more organic, you know. And you mentioned uh, natural bodybuilding uh, back in your earlier days too, so I'm sensing kind of a theme here. Um, but I, I've also heard of a lot of guys in the military that are using uh, supplemental testosterone and steroids and, and stuff like that. Is that something that you've stayed away from over the years? Um, yeah, and I mean especially like when I was lifting heavy and trying to do the natural body building, like I absolutely took supplements. I mean, if they sold it at GNC or whatever little supplement shop you could go to, dude, I was taking everything I could get. Like, I, I'm not saying that I wasn't um, doing that because I'm, I'm a very hard gainer. I could always kind of lean out fairly easily, but for me to put on weight, um, you know, I was eating, at my heaviest, uh, I was eating 8,000 calories a day. Uh, and that's seven meals a day gagging, you know, like I was like throwing up, coming back in my mouth, like trying to shove so much food down me, you know? And at that time, I think the heaviest I ever got was 220, you know? And so I, I've always been a very hard gainer. Um, and guys, you know, within my community, like you have to think too, um, you know, like I said, I'm 38. Most of the guys are, are mid thirties, you know, they've been doing this stuff for a very long time. Um, and so whether it's stuff for recovery or, you know, for strength, endurance, what have you, um, you know, like I still take, you know, I take supplements, you know, now for sure as well. Um, but one thing I noticed, like, especially in, uh, special forces, we, we're very focused, even guys that weren't say ultra athletes or ultra runners, endurance is always the priority because we move for hours. We move for miles with heavy weight. And we always, you know, if you're so heavy or you're so big that you're falling out or you can't do a, a 10 mile movement over terrain, you can't function. You can't do your job. You know, you're not going to be you know, supportive to the guys to your left and your right. So even for guys that were lifters, they're also um, fairly talented in, with endurance and moving as well. Mm -hmm. Going back to the green beret racing thing and, and PTSD, I imagine it's, there's gotta be sort of a stigma with the special forces guys to, to 
go and ask for help, right? To like go to a therapist and, and put your hand up and say, look, I'm in a pinch. I could use some help outside of myself, you know, because special forces guys seem like the kind of guys who resolve everything on their own, especially internally. And that's kind of the way I grew up believing men should be, you know, and then eventually I get to this place in my life where I personally had to put my hand up and say, look, I I need some help. I need to ask help of strangers for, you know, whatever different stuff in my life, but there's gotta be sort of a stigma. It's kind of a bigger deal with you guys though. Right. Yeah. And I would, the stigma I would say is internal, right. Within like within you personally as an individual, because we absolutely have an incredible support network, right. Within, within our command, within the regiment, you know, especially now with TBI, PTS, um, and these issues, it, the support mechanism is absolutely there, but to your point, you're exactly right. Like a big reason why we have been successful and we are where we are, are because we are very type A um, individuals, right? We're very driven. We're very hard mentally. We're very tough and we're adaptable, you know, to these changing uh, environments. And then we never, you can never show weakness, right? right? And what we do, there is no weakness, you know, anybody, um, appearing to be you know less than at the top of their game at any given time you know comes back to like what i said earlier about just you know the biggest scare worried worry is being pulled off of that detachment not being able to do your job you know oh gosh if i have this issue you know i'm not going to be able to to be with my guys or they're going to think you know like oh jason's lost his edge he doesn't have it anymore kind of what have you so it's um, the stigma I think we place on ourselves, or I, I know I'm only going to speak for myself, but that's, that's the way I internalize. That's the way I looked at it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I'd never like my biggest fear is any, anybody questioning my, my ability or my loyalty or my commitment, you know, to them. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, where can people follow you and find you and support this cause for starters? I know you're on social media and whatnot, but how can people support you? Um, yeah, I would say first and foremost, like go to greenberryracing.org, um, main website there. Just kind of go through it and like even before worry, you know, worrying about donating, what have you, read through, read through the story, read through about the history and kind of what we do and why it started. Um, and really kind of familiarize, you know, yourself with the organization. I, I think it'd help a lot. Um, yeah, I'm on Instagram, uh, J- JCMJ. That's my only social media. I, I don't do social media very well. Okay. Um, but yeah, definitely get over, check out Greenberry Racing. Yeah. 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 Um, do you have any plans after Everest or is this like the biggest, is this what you're looking at right now and you can't look beyond that? Or are you looking at other races down, down the road? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I definitely have um, future ambitions, future plans, both in the the ultra scene with races and um, even non-races kind of events that I've wanted to try to do. uh, And then other mountain objectives for sure. Yeah. Can you talk about any of those or are they all under wraps right now? 
Uh, so one for sure is Nolan's. Um, oh shit. Yeah. I, yeah. Nolan's dude, like that's so intriguing because it's so big and it's so scary. It's so big. <laughs> it, it, and it's, it's awesome. Uh, I, so I've done the course, you know, I've done the route, um, last summer and wanted to go make an attempt timing with work, blah, blah, blah. So definitely, definitely Nolan's. Um, I would like to go for the triple crown, mm. um, nice. with destination. Um, and then there's definitely other, uh, mountain objectives I want to do, uh, high altitude type stuff. So, yeah, yeah dude. Awesome. That's like my favorite stuff. Long races, big mountain stuff, no lens. Dude, if you attempt no lens, give me a shout for sure. I'd love to, at the very least, come out to one of the aid stations and hand off a cheeseburger or something to you. But I'd love to climb the last couple of peaks with you or be involved in, in one way, shape or form. I love everything about Nolan's and it, it's been on my list forever. And one of these days I'll check it off the list, but sounds Absolutely. cool, man. Well, well, I think I'll probably see you. Um, so I'm already registered for the Sangre de Cristo 200. Oh, sweet. Uh, okay. Next year as well. So oh, yeah. chances nice. are pricey out there. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Fantastic. Well, yeah, that's on my list this year because I was injured last year. Yeah. You know the story, but I yep. uh, was injured last year. So I just rolled over next year. So sweet, man. Hopefully we can share some miles together. Heck yeah, man. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this, man. Um, everybody check out greenberetracing.org and jump into this and, and just, you know, if you feel a calling, yeah, pitch in a couple bucks or just send Jason a message and, and give him some encouragement. However you can, however you can support this mission, you know, whatever it looks like, but, um, give this guy a shout and follow along. Um, is there going to be any way we can like literally follow along? Are you going to have like a tracker or anything while you're out there? How does that work? Yeah. So I'm definitely going to be, you know, active on social media uh, throughout this thing. And, and that's huge too, right? Like absolutely understand we're asking, you know, for a lot of money. Um, right. So I'm working some things right now to, I want to start getting some swag together to start sending back out to folks that are, that are donating and giving us money out of their pocket, you know, plus like, it's pretty cool. Like, Hey, I believe in this organization. I think they're trying to do something. I'm supporting it. Like, cool. Now I can rep a, a shirt or stickers or hoodies, whatever. Uh, and then during the actual expedition itself, we'll be active on social media for sure. And then I'll also have my, uh, in reach going as well. And that's something, you know, I carry with me every time I go to the mountains. And so Michelle, my family, they can track me. So I know, that that works very well in text and back and forth. So I think what we'll end up doing is having that um, shareable and I'll probably have Michelle manage that. Um, but you can actually, you know, real time, see how good or maybe not so good on Farron. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with the oxygen thing, um, and I hate, almost hate bringing this up, but like, what if something happens where you're not yeah. able to summit with no oxygen, would you go back and try it again with oxygen or have you even entertained those thoughts in your head or mm -hmm. what do you think? No, absolutely. Um, and that, that's a great question. Michelle actually asked me that question, uh, night before last. And, and this is what I told her. So 
my in my head i cannot tell myself right now that if i can't make it to the summit i will just throw on supplemental oxygen or like pre-plan like hey if i get to camp four that's above eight thousand meters you know and and i'm struggling or not too fast i know i'll have oxygen and i can take it and and the reason i say that is because with the way my brain works if i start giving myself an out now mm-hmm. then i will lose that edge and that competitive um, focus that i have to have to try to attempt this because i do to the best of my ability without actually have been on the ground like i understand how far out there you know how unlikely this is it is a very extreme challenge and the odds quite honestly are not in my favor i'm aware of that but i have to be absolutely committed to the process to prepare for this now that being said um i am not naive or a prideful climber by any means and i will never um when i'm on any mountain or in the backcountry make any decision that's so prideful or you know about me that would put somebody else in risk you know you see that you see that often especially there at extreme high altitude but i've even seen it here on 14ers you know summit fever is a real thing and that's mm-hmm. how people die in the mountains mm-hmm. you know so i'm very aware of that um but so while i say i have to stay absolutely focused and committed in this attempt without supplemental oxygen I am also very aware of the support mechanism and the people behind me um, getting me there. And the overall objective is to bring awareness to GBR and to help out as many um, soldiers within our regiment as I can. So if it were to come to a point, then it would be a decision that I would make on the ground for um, successful completion of the overall mission, right? Yeah. Um, so it's definitely something I've, yeah, I've, I've put a lot of thought into it. Um, and you know, that I, I've thought about a lot of other things, right. You know, like every year people die on that mountain, like sure. it's, it is very high risk, whether you're doing it with or without oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my greatest fears right now, um, is being at a point at a very high elevation. Um, to where I am moving only for myself to survive, whether that's moving towards the summit or that's coming down, and then possibly possibly seeing another climber that you know that could be in a bad way or right. needs a rescue to happen. Right, to right. where um, I'm, you know, if, with oxygen that would further enable my abilities to help or to be supportive or, you know, to do something there. And, and I worry that if that were to happen without supplemental oxygen, um, you know, I, I don't know where I would be or how my body would be physically, how, what, you know, whether I'd be able to help or not, or if I would just add to the situation. And that's something, you know, as, as a soldier, as an individual, you know, that's kind of lived the life that I have. Um, you don't leave anybody behind, mm-hmm. you know, that that's, that's not a question. That's never a question. So there's, there's a lot, you know, like, like I said, it is big and it's real and, you know, you just kind of stay focused on, you know, the, the big overall objective and then kind of do the most you can to prepare for it. And 
We'll see. Yeah. yeah. You've been here before. You've had big objectives and had to prepare for it. And you've been with the odds against you, you know, and, and you've pushed through before. So um, I'm sure you've got this dude. Like I look at you and I'm thinking, oh, I wouldn't worry about this guy getting to the top of Everest. But, but like you said, anything could happen out there. Any, it's like an ultra marathon. Who knows if you're going to make it to 200 the end of a 240 mile race, because a million things can happen. It's like, everything has to go right in order for you to complete the mission. And chances are that might not happen, you know, but overall, and I, I can't wait to see how you do out there. I mean, I know that you're going to show up as fit, uh, physically and, and mentally as you can be at, at that particular time. Um, but good luck, man. I mean, what an experience, um, and, and what a mission and, and what a, a good cause to support, man. I mean, you're just trying to help other people. And in a lot of ways, that's what it all, all boils down to is just service of other people. How can I help other people, whether it's getting to their finish line or helping them in their life through whatever I, I commend it, man. I think it's, it's respectable. So Jason, keep doing you, man. I love it. Uh, I appreciate it. And again, thank you very much for, for having me on. Obviously we've been following you for a long time, message back and forth. And I don't know, I'm the guy that listened to podcasts. I never imagined being on one, but <laughs> you know, it's incredible opportunity and, and I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Well, listen, dude, it's a true honor to have you on and, and thank you for your service. And I'm just so looking forward to to seeing what happens early next year. Um, you know, whether, you know, whether the mission's completed or not, man, it's, it's just a huge endeavor and you just training for the thing and going over there and giving it a shot, man. I mean, it, it's huge. So best of luck to you guys when you're out there and, um, we're going to have to get together and, and go for a run at some point, man, since we're both in Colorado and we haven't officially met. So if, if you're ever looking at Nolan's definitely look me up, but, uh, we'll let, we might have to get together and summon a couple peaks between now and then though. Absolutely, man. We'll cool, do. brother. We'll stay in touch. Good luck to you guys. And uh, I can't wait, man. All right. Later. Cool, brother. All right. Take care. All right, guys. Uh, heartfelt thank you for listening and hanging out until the end of the show. I really, really appreciate you guys. I'd like to give a shout out to all of our sponsors. First of all, Exoskin. Their running apparel keeps you comfortable in absolutely any condition. Say goodbye to chafing and blisters. Check them out, exoskin.us. Use our discount code, capital BTC, for 15% off. Real quick, I want to tell you guys about Bigger Than the Trail. Bigger Than the Trail is a 501c3 tax-exempt organization that is using trail running as a platform to advocate for mental health. If you've ever thought about getting therapy and aren't exactly in a position where you can afford it right now, Bigger Than the Trail offers you free therapy for up to three months. No strings attached, you guys. This is, this is really, really cool what these guys are doing. I couldn't love what they're doing anymore, in fact. Uh, I signed up. It was quick. It was easy. They matched me with a therapist that met my personal criteria, and I meet with them once a week. I'm trying this thing. You guys should try this thing, and we can all do this together. Look up Bigger Than the Trail, sign up for their services, and let's do the small things in life that eventually lead us to doing the big things. Please let them know we sent you.
We also want to thank our good friends at Alter Ego Running. They make premium performance hats, and who doesn't need a good hat when you're out running or on an adventure? These hats should be your go-to on your everyday runs, epic adventures, and just cruising around town. Check out Alter Ego Running. Use our promo code, capital Do Big Things, all caps, for 20% off. This podcast is also brought to you by our good friends at On Pace Wellness. Contact them if you need to get your nutrition on track. Mention this podcast. He's going to give you a 10% discount and get you properly tuned up. Last but not least, this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Brewing, the finest, in my opinion, non-alcoholic craft beer on the market. Check out athleticbrewing.com. Use my discount code, McRobertsA20, all caps, for 20% off the best non-alcoholic beer around. Enjoy the taste without the hangover. All right, guys, find us at big-things-crewing.com or patreon.com slash do big things. Life is short. Do big things, baby. Pedro. Thanks for a run, homie.